We've got a new rivalry out west. Or at least the renewal of an old, occasional rivalry. The Dodgers are getting a push from the Fun Kids, also known as the San Diego Padres. Your Padres are moving on to the 2020 National League Division Series against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Arlington, Texas. How about them boys? Led by Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, the Padres are hoping to knock off the favored Dodgers in the NL Division Series round. This is just the beginning. The window is open for us, and regardless of what happens, we get a chance at the Dodgers this year. Go Padres! We get a preview from the man who will call the series next. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is A Swing and a Belt. John Shabby's been calling baseball games forever, both locally for a number of years and for many years recently for ESPN television and radio. To know him is to love him, and he has the Padre Dodgers series coming up this week on your local ESPN radio affiliate. Booga, happy to help you check another item off your bucket list by coming on a swing and about. How are you doing today? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is this kind of is the uh, the placeholder for the game we didn't get to do together this year, right. right? I mean, that's kind of the thing. That's right, yeah. Every year we talk our boss, and I put that word in air quotes, Steve Haddad, yes. into letting us do what we call Booga Shlu. He's Boog and I'm Shlu. You don't need the stories. They're only funny to us. But but we get to do one game together, and we actually have a hell of a fun time doing it. The first game we – I think the first or maybe the second one we ever did together was in Toronto, and that lent itself to all kinds of yes. other inside jokes. And, and, of course, Boog being American finds everything about Canada funny, so there was a lot of Canadian humor. So right. Yeah, well, maybe we can finagle one. Maybe one of our analysts will come down with a – well, you can't even make a joke about coming down like with a 24-hour cold these days. You can't even say that. So No, it's true. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting here with a good Terminal 2 joke holstered up and just, you know, <laughs> waiting. So, anyway, sorry. As good as it gets. So, how has the weirdest baseball season of your life gone? Yeah, it's been odd. I haven't particularly enjoyed it. I think it underlines some things that in terms of what I enjoy about the job is not just here's the two, two. So like I want to see people. And for me, collecting information and connecting with people on site is a pretty big part of it. And like, look, we all do it differently. But I've told the story before, but I, we we're doing the wild card game a couple years back. And it's the A's and the Yankees, and I'm on the field before the game, and Brian Catchman's standing there. So he and I get into a conversation, and we're having a chat. I've known Brian for a long, long time. And Billy Bean comes up and interrupts, and he sticks his hand out and says, What's up, Cash? You guys going to out analytics the shit out of us tonight? <laughs> and then the three of us have a chat. And when it's over, I pulled Billy aside, and I said, Is it okay if I tell that story on the air? And he said, Sure. And just look, it's not earth-shattering, but I'm taking the listener there that Billy Bean knows the Yankees have stepped up their analytics department in a pretty big way. He knows he's considered Moneyball guy. And it's just this small little anecdote that is a happy accident that happens by being there. Conversely, opening night, you get the Nationals and the Yankees, and it's Scherzer and Cole. And Scherzer last year in Game 7 of the World Series in a DH park took batting practice because he likes to do it for his routine. And he likes to basically get his body loose that way. And he was asked in summer camp with the DH, will you still take BP in light of the fact that you did it before Game 7 in a DH park? And he said maybe. And 
I am calling and texting everybody that I possibly know, trying to find out if Scherzer hit before the first game of the year. And I could not get it. And if I had been there, I would have gotten it. All for a note that's just the 2-2 is outside and it's filled up, 3-2. and two. You know, Max Scherzer, even though it's a DH park, a DH in the National League now, takes batting practice and plans to do so the entire year on his starts. Like, whatever. But I'm just saying, and then not having the people – actually next to me yeah i haven't enjoyed it very much and that's not even to get to the technical part of it where you know you have a play yeah like here's a simple one that people don't even think about dan shocking that it's a long-winded answer all of this but uh <laughs> but this is real and people don't even contemplate this and i don't know whether you had this happen to you so i had a game the other day where it was regular season Betts is at third. It's the Dodgers and the Padres. Justin Turner hits a ground ball to third. Betts is going on contact. He comes home and he stops. They get him into a rundown. They throw him back to third. Machado applies the tag, and the umpire is not in the shot. Yep. And you don't realize as a viewer that that happens all the time. They're not supposed to necessarily shoot the umpire in the shot. I tell you because I'm there and I can see that he says, safe. And I just tell you, and you just go about digesting the information, and Mookie Betts is safe. But now I can't see it. And again, the camera guy's responsibility is to show the play, not the play in the umpire. And so it's one of those things where all of a sudden that thing happens, and it's like, Betts back to third, and what happened? I can't see anything. Can anybody tell me what just happened? What just happened? So what did you, because I've had this two or three times, uh, not on a rundown, but on a pickoff play or something. What did you say in the moment when you didn't know if he was out or safe? Can I tell you something? And this is very me. It happened to me three times. Twice I tap danced and was as professional as possible. And another time I was like, yeah, I can't see the umpire. No idea what the call was. <laughs> see, that's the difference between you and me. I went right to, I have no idea what the call is, folks. Yeah. And I might have even said on the air, and we're all in this together. Because as you said, it's not the camera person's fault. They're shooting the game the way they've shot the game forever. But, yeah. you know, we all do this differently. But 99.99% of us, when the ball's hit, we're looking at the field now. Now we're looking at the field. We're off the monitor for sure. And you're right. Things is a rundown, a pickoff play, even a stolen base sometimes. Something as mundane as a stolen base. I had that once this year where you couldn't see the umpire. You're relying on the body language of the base runner to tell you whether he's out or safe, which is a gamble. The other thing was I had a Sunday night game end on multiple runners on base, ball hit in the gap, play at the plate. That's how the game ended. <laughs> now, I would say that that's the hardest thing in this setting that we have to do. And I can, and as it's happening, I'm like, oh, for the love of God, is this game really going to come? Like, as the play is going on, like, that would have been the internal conversation. Here comes, I think it's Dansby Swanson. Is that him? Yeah, it's him. Okay. <laughs> I know. Is this really going to happen? He's okay. He's out. Can we go home now? Yeah. And the sad part is the two men on, down by a run, ball in the gap. That's the most fun play in the world to call normally. That's right. Like more fun than a home run, I think. And Totally agree. Right, because everything's happening, and now you can't see any of it. But no, anyway. that, that's the dorkiness, isn't it? I mean, yeah. especially on radio, I think especially it's fun because, you know, when you nail that call, you know, ball goes into the corner, and, you know, Quinn – 
throws to Gregorius, Gregorius, throw to the plate on a bat. You know what I mean? Like, and you get the whole thing. That's fun, man. That's fun. That's that's the buildup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So now that we've told people how much we love our jobs during a pandemic, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about this sexy matchup that you have. And you, as you mentioned, you just had it a little while ago, the Dodgers and the Padres. So here's another thing. Normally, Boog would be at Dodger Stadium calling his series, and I would be at Yankee Stadium calling my series. Now we're literally going to be across the hall from one another. We're going to be maybe 15 feet away from one another, uh, as I call my series and he calls his series for ESPN Radio. So again, it's going to be different, but it'll give us an opportunity to barge into each other's booths and have some fun while the other guy's on the air and all that stuff. That's correct. But as we tape this, we don't know if Clevenger and Lamette are going to be healthy for the Padres, which is obviously a huge deal. Here, can I say this to you? Let me yeah, just yeah. give you this real quick. I'm looking at the internet because I wanted the most updated thing. This is where it stands, and this is from 15 hours ago. The LA Times, Padres, Mike Clemenger and Denelson Lamette might sit versus Dodgers. A website, CBS Sports, MLB playoffs, Padres Mike Clemenger may be available for NLDS, says Dodgers reports. It. I mean, we don't know. Maybe, maybe not, is what you're saying. The old maybe, maybe not. But if they're both available, even if one of them's available, I mean, I, this is a fun matchup. And, and I think it's a great rivalry that I hope continues to build over the next few years. Like, are you all aboard the Padre Fun Train? Did you have a good time calling their games? Do you love watching them? All of it, yeah. They're fun. And they get excited and... The sport needs it. I mean, I think you cover a team on a daily basis that has some of that type of flavor, but I, I, you know, this Padre team is fun. This is where I would say, by the way, I think that the neutral site really hurts the Padres. It's nuanced, but the lack of off day puts a pressure on the staffs that I think makes it even more challenging. And conversely, I mean, look, you're talking about a, a Dodger team that is so good offensively with defensive versatility, but the other part is they're going to cover roughly, if they're, you know, 45 innings, we'll call it, and you don't get a break. They're not throwing a turd out there for a single one of those 45. Like, you're just not going to get a break. So I just think it's going to be too tall a task for the Padres to hold down that Dodger lineup that's really good. If you need some help on the Padre bullpen, I saw nine of them in their oh, win over St. Louis to knock them out. So, yeah, you know, and credit to Jace Tingler, right? I mean, he got dealt a tough hand in this series, and he bobbed and weaved his way to a series victory. I thought it was really impressive, actually. Really impressive. And especially if you walk it back, like, Mike Schilt would have to tell you he got what he was hoping to get out of Jack Flaherty, and they still lost. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And you're right, credit to Jace Tingler and the job that, that he and Larry Rothschild did. I think it's going to be hard. I don't think it's out of the question because, you know, this is the best Padre offense in the history of the franchise. And top to bottom, there's not a ton of breathing room or space to go to in this lineup uh, both ways. But I, you know, what it's going to come down to is I think the Padres are going to have to bash a little bit, at least in three games. And they can do that. Uh, and the guy who le- – well, one of the guys who leads the way. You know, Machado's there and Myers is there. I mean, they got a lot of guys who can hit. But Tatis is kind of the headliner, I think, because he's so young and he's new and he's got such flair when he plays the game. I'm trying to think of a comp, like a shortstop that big, that powerful, who makes those plays with that personality – 
he's the only guy on the list. I can't come up with a guy who's got all of those different things wrapped into one ball player right now. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the part that's interesting is you think back to like the beginning of last year and we were in the middle of an interesting conversation as far as who's the best shortstop. Baez coming off what was a second in the MVP performance. Oh, here come the sirens. They're coming to get me, guys. Um, <laughs> and Trevor Story, I think, is one of the more underrated players in the game in terms of speed, power, defense. Obviously, Bogarts has turned into a real bopper at shortstop. We've always talked about how good Lindor is, and this guy's leapfrogged all of them. Mm -hmm. So to me, the part about Tatis is, yeah, the flair, how big he is, the speed, plus the arm strength. But it starts with performance, right? Broken bat, flair, diving stat, Tatis! The third out of the eighth comes with a stretch from the young superstar. In a sport that there's so much failure, when we're sitting here telling you how good this guy is, and it seems like he's making great plays or always delivering on it. So impressive. I mean, we are going to be talking about him for the next hundred years. And I know it's so early in the career to start getting into those conversations, but just watch him. Just look at him. It has to start with amazing level of performance. It has to start with he's hitting a homer. Fernando, a high fly ball to deep left field. Car rushed. Ball going, long on for El Nino. Sitting another homer. Looking up, gonna go! He did it again! Fernando Tatis Jr. with his second home run in his many innings. A three-run shot in the sixth, and now a two-run shot here in the seventh. And the Padres... I think all of that, but it's the performance that sort of begins it. And, you know, and then you got the hair and the flair, and he's excited. You kind of can't take your eyes off of him. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, I couldn't take my eyes a few days ago off Clayton Kershaw and his performance in their game against Milwaukee. Now, granted, it's not a great Milwaukee team. It's not a great Milwaukee lineup. But, I mean, he was lights out. Slider was unbelievable. 13 Ks through eight innings. He's been great tonight, though. Clayton Kershaw, 11 strikeouts. Eduardo, when's the last time you saw this guy this good? I mean, he's so good all the time, but... That's number 12 on the strikeout meter for Clayton Kershaw tonight, matching his postseason high. Can't give Clayton Kershaw another out. He did, and then it's a one pitch and a strikeout. Clayton Kershaw will walk off the mound with 13 strikeouts. And, you know, some people think a shortened season really helps him, right? That he's got more gas in the tank to get him through October than in a normal year. But what I wanted to hear from you is where are you on the whole Kershaw October legacy thing? You know, the he needs this in order to, are, are you in on that? Or are you just, hey, historically great pitcher going out and doing his best in October? Yes, I'll take B, Alex. I uh, That was a Jeopardy joke. Yeah, and Alex is Canadian, so we're all good with that. Yeah, He's from Canada, I know. I mean, look, I understand that, they're, you know, last year giving up the back-to-back -back homers, I know it underlines for the people that think that the guy's a choker. I've always, you know, kind of stepped aside and trying to see into people's souls. I do think that this is a sport that is designed over large sample size. The good players are going to be good. I think even this year is an example of it's not quite a large enough sample size, and you saw a lot of really good players not play all that well. So I subscribe to a little more of the, you know, the randomness of it. I think he's one of the best pitchers of all time. I know that there are 
holes in the argument, but I think he's one of the best pitchers that we've ever seen. I think the other part that's interesting is that in the offseason, he visited driveline and tried to work on, you know, making sure that that velocity wouldn't decline more. And he actually got the velocity to tick back up. So I have mad respect for the guy, and, I, and I've and i always loved watching him pitch. Uh, I'm all on board, 100% with just what you said. His slider was consistently 89, touch 90. His fastball was 93, touch 94 uh, in his start against Milwaukee. And if he can keep that going, he's got a chance to be great. May and Gonsolin, household names by the end of October? I don't know about that. I mean, I, the one part of the Dodgers that is quite interesting is this. If you're looking for two things that correlate in the postseason with success, it's hitting home runs and striking people out. And it's not a Dodger staff that strikes people out at a high above average rate. Two years ago, Dan, the top eight teams in the regular season in strikeout rate all made the playoffs. And for the most part, if you have a pitching staff that strikes people out at a high rate, strikeouts are available. I'm not sure if you're aware, but strikeouts are available in today's game. <laughs> yes, they are. If you have a staff that can take advantage of the fact that they are available, you should do so. But it's not quite that simple because even though they have guys that throw the two-seamer and the two-seamer is dying in the sport, the distinction is, yeah, they got guys like – Dustin May that throws a two-seamer at 98 and Bruce Star Grotterol who throws a two-seamer at 100. Yep. So it's a little it's a little different. Look, they've been an astounding run prevention team, even though this year they've been kind of an outlier in the norm of not striking people out. I think they'll strike enough people out and it'll it'll still be fine. But that part is interesting. Like I think May's I think what separates May from being an absolute monster is until Dustin May strikes people out at a really high rate, as long as the ball's in play, something bad can happen. Yeah. So unless he strikes a lot of people out, he's not going to take that next step, in my opinion. Okay, fast forward. Let's say it's it's the World Series. Let's say it's game six. The Dodgers are up three games to two on whoever they're playing in the American League. It's the ninth inning. They're up a run. Oh, God. The bullpen door opens. Yeah. Who's coming out? Is Kenley Jansen going to be the guy to get the last three outs for the Dodgers to win it, or is somebody else going to have the job by then? Man, it's a great question. <laughs> it's not all fun and games on a swing and a belt, boo. Wow. No, it's clearly not. Uh, gosh, I feel like it's going to be Kenley Jansen. All right. That's my answer. I'm not implying. There was not a lot of confidence in your tone. No. No. <laughs> I don't like you getting judgy on me, but yes, that's fair. It's going to be fascinating, though, to see over the next few weeks how it develops. You know, or, yes. or you know, at crunch time, does a guy like Bueller come out right, like just on the last game, and he's had two days off, whatever, to get three outs? But yeah, uh, you know, Jansen 2020 is not Jansen 2016. It's a different guy right now. He's so. different guy. I think the only one thing about it that's curious is I know we've seen other guys do it, but. We keep putting these starters in positions that they're not quite used to. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't practice that. So, you know, it, I think it can blow up in your face, too. You know, it's when you're bringing Clayton Kershaw in last year against the Nats in that spot. Now, they didn't have Urias because he had pitched three straight days. But it's going to be interesting to see. So my game, the Yankee games generally are starting an hour and a half or two hours before your games. 
Yes. Which means it'll be a photo finish to see which of us finishes first. That's absolutely right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. But ultimately, I took you know the National League knowing that I would just have less time at work. So Yes. So if your game ends before my game, I trust you will push open the booth door to my booth and just give me a little happy wave on your way out of the building while I'm still calling the eighth inning. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know that it'll be a wave. I think it'll probably involve, like, some type of digit, but yeah. A salute be, of some sort? Yeah, that's I'm, correct. I'm familiar with that, Boog. So. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, buddy, you're the best. I love you, and uh, there's not a lot of upside to what's going on now, but being able to wave at you across the hall for the next couple of weeks will be fun. So uh, look forward to seeing you have a hell of a series. Amen. Love you, pal. Well, I've been lucky enough to make a lot of friends in this business over the years, but that's one of the best friends I've made. Boog Shambi, phenomenal broadcaster, sneaky good guy, too. He'll have the Dodgers and Padres on ESPN Radio across the hall from where I'll have the Yankees and Rays and looking forward to catching up a little bit over the next couple of weeks. This round should be great. Everybody's a divisional rival, as it turns out, in all four series, and I think we're going to see some great baseball coming up the rest of October. Thanks for listening. As always, this episode was produced by Amal Delich. I'm Dan Schulman.